All right, all right, all right. Hey, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 this morning. In fact, uh, some of our friends in red shirts, they're going to come to the front and they're going to walk slowly to the back. They've got a free Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible or you want a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you one just for free. All you need to do is just slip your hand up and they'll give you a Bible for free, just our gift to you. So thanks so much. Uh, Get to Genesis chapter 37, your phone, your Bible. It'll be on the screen in a little bit. Uh, But I just need to talk to you this morning about a few things. One, there's a time in someone's life I don't care if you're a guy or you're a girl. I'm a guy, so I'm going to say there's a time in a guy's life when he goes from being a boy to a man. Like there's a rite of passage of sorts. There's something that you just know when this thing made the difference. The, the switch was flipped. I'm no longer a boy. Now I'm a man. For some of us, maybe it was when we got our driver's license. Maybe that was the thing. For some of us, maybe we went hunting and killed a big animal and that was like the, the thing you did. None of that was it for me. It didn't matter at all. It wasn't really graduating high school. It wasn't even graduating college, but... The most significant moment of my life did happen my senior year of college. I don't know what it was for you, but for me, it was senior year of college. My two friends, Andrew and Tom, and I, uh, we were at college, and we just graduated. That was all good. But we had about a week that we needed to figure out how to kind of stay on campus, but we didn't want to pay to stay on campus. So we just tried to kind of figure out how to cheaply make this happen. So we had this idea in our heads. What better way, the campus was on the Cannabacasis River, uh, Bethany Bible College up in Sussex, uh, right on the Cannabacasis River, and we had this idea, why don't we build a boat, and we're just going to go sailing down the Cannabacasis River for a week, and we're going to try and get from, Saint, or from Sussex to St. John, and let's see what happens with that. Uh, so we built this huge boat. In fact, I think I have a, here's a picture of me in college, if you want to know what I was up to in college. Here's the there's me. Uh, you can tell the building project is going great at that point. I think I'm saying this is dumb. Uh, my hair looks good, though. Uh, you don't have to tell me if you agree or not. That's fine. Uh, and anyway, so I'm going to show you a picture of our boat. Now, when I say the word boat, this, it might be a generous term. It might, it might be a generous I'm just saying you might say raft or barge or whatever. I'm going to say it's a boat. It's fine, right? Uh, one of the words that comes to mind when I look at that is seaworthy. That's, an, that's a word that comes to mind. That's the highest it was floating for the week, so that was good. Uh, you can see there's me on the rudder just manning that. Uh, Tom, the only one with a life jacket on. That's cool. Uh, Andrew, and it looks like we just like, I don't even know. It looks like we found stuff in a dumpster and just went. To, here's another one of us. Here, here we're going to set sail. Look at this. There we go. You can't beat that. Tom's having fun for a couple minutes, and it's going to be good. Uh, man, you don't know this, but we wanted to stay on the Ken McCasis River for a week, because if we're not on school property, they can't charge us to be on the school property. The river's not school property, so ha, 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 there we go, right? But I need to tell you, like, we had so many people tell us before we did this thing, it's a dumb idea. Now, it was a dumb idea, but people told us, that's stupid, man. You're crazy. Why would you try and do that? Classes before us tried and failed. Other people tried to sail down the Cannabacasis River. One class got stuck on a bridge and the fire company had to come and pull them out. Some other dope, uh, dopes like rode down on icebergs one time. Like it was, it was terrible. Everyone said, man, you're never going to be able to do it. But we proved them wrong. I, co- I spent more in nails and wood and barrels. I spent more money on that than I probably did on books my whole college career. It was like, it was crazy what it was. We spent weeks of planning. It took so much time to figure it out. And I'm going to tell you what, from the moment we set sail for the 45 minutes until we sank, it was the best, <laughs> most significant 
45 minutes of my life. It was like, that was the moment. That was it. It was significant for me. What was the significant thing for you? What was that thing? You just know I did this and it made a difference. And oh my goodness, I can look back and say, that was it. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe for you, uh, it was you moved out of your parents' place and you got your own place for the first time. And that was the significant thing for you. Uh, Maybe you applied for a job that you didn't think you could get or you had no business applying for, but you applied and you got it. And and it was just an incredible, I don't know what it was for you. Maybe a better question is this though for for today. Maybe the question I want to ask you is, what's the most significant thing you wish you would have done? What's the thing, and you might know what it is, what's the thing of significance that you didn't do yet? The thing that maybe you had a dream for, or you wanted to go after, but for some reason, looking back, you didn't take the opportunity, or you didn't make the steps to make it happen, or maybe you started out and you got scared and you quit, or someone told you you couldn't do it and you believed them. What was the significant thing you feel you might have missed out on? Every single one of us knows what this feels like, though, don't we? Like, we know what it feels like to have some goal in our lives. I'm not talking some big vision or some big dream from God. I'm just talking like a goal, something you set out to do. We know what it feels like to have a plan or to have a goal or a vision of some sort. We know what it's like, but we also know what it's like to start out, and somewhere along the line, we quit. Somewhere along the line, we didn't see it happen. And it's not that we don't want significant things to happen in our lives. It's not that we don't want it. If I said to you, what do you want to do that's significant? I'm sure you could tell me what it is. The question for today, though, is why is it so hard? Why is it so hard sometimes to do something significant? Why does it seem like the significant thing we set out to do oftentimes seems out of reach? We're in the book of Genesis chapter 37 this morning. We're looking at the story of Joseph. I'm not sure if you know the story or not. We're going to kind of track through it pretty quickly here today. Uh, But I want to show you that the story of Joseph helps us understand the answer to this question. Why is it hard to do something significant? There's something about Joseph's story, though, that I want you to understand before we get into it. Because there's a danger here where we might say, well, if I'm not like Joseph, well, then this doesn't apply to me. I want to read the very first verses of Genesis chapter 37, show you something about Joseph, and then we'll keep on rolling with it. So the beginning of Genesis 37 says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. Jacob is Joseph's dad. It says, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He would go out to the fields and say, wow, John's doing this or Billy's doing that. And dad, you should have seen what they did today. Oh my goodness. He was that kind of a a brother, that kind of a kid. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. Here's what I want you to see about the story of Joseph. Before we get into why is it hard to do something significant and what Joseph's story has to do with you, you need to understand this about Joseph. The thing that the Bible tells us here is this. Like Joseph isn't the firstborn of his family. He's not the youngest of his family. He's kind of in the middle, not really significant. Any middle children here today, any middle children online, I don't have to prove to you, like, you're not significant. You're not important, right? That's just how I go. I'm a middle kid. That's the way it is, right? He's not really important that way. The Bible tells us that he doesn't even just work for his dad. He kind of works for his half-brothers. He's not the boss of anything. He doesn't own the business. He's low on the totem pole. He's not really that significant. 
The Bible tells us that he's not even really an upstanding brother, the one who always does the right thing. No, he's the little, like, weaselly, tattletale brother that we all hate. He's not important at all. The Bible tells us that the most significant thing about him, the reason his dad loves him so much, isn't because of something he did. It's purely because his dad was really old when he had him, and his dad loved him because he could still have a kid when he was old. He's not a hero. He's not the best part of the Bible at all. He's not like a a biblical hero in any way, shape, or form. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because oftentimes when we take a look at a story of someone in the Bible, we assume that God only wants to do important things through important people. We only believe that God wants to do significant things. We say, yeah, God, you want to do something significant, but you're going to use someone who's already significant. The problem is when I take that misconception and I hold up Joseph as this model for me to go after and someone I could never attain to, I can't be like Joseph. I can't do anything he would have done. When I take a look at my life and I take a look at my mistakes, my flaws, my mess-ups, and I put it up against someone who I think is perfect, I'm going to quit before I even start. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again that God doesn't use important people to do important things. He used flawed people. He used mess-ups. He used the people who are overlooked, the weaselly tattletales of their family. He's the one that God's after. God loves doing important things through insignificant people. So you might be struggling today and say, God, why would you ever want to use me? I could tell you 50 reasons. My brother could tell you 50 reasons. My wife could tell you 50 reasons why you don't want to use me right now. I would say if you feel insignificant in any way, shape, or form, you are exactly the person God wants to do something important through. God has something important for every single one of us to do in this life. He has something of significance for you to do. I need you to understand that before we get into this at all. But why is it so hard? Why is it hard to do something significant. First thing Joseph's story is going to show us is this, that significant things attract significant critics. Why is it hard for me to do something significant? Because as soon as I set out to do something significant, there's going to be significant, significant, significant criticism. It's going to be a long one if I can't get that word right. There's going to be significant criticism that comes my way. Take a look at this story. Genesis 37 says, one night Joseph had a dream. And in this dream, after he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen up, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you think you'll actually reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have another dream, he said. This time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. And this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down before you? For Joseph, the second that he put a voice to his dream... The second that he kind of came out with it and was vulnerable about it, the second he voiced the thing of significance that he thought was in his life, that's the very time that the significant criticism came as well. As soon as he said it, criticism was there to knock it out of him. You and I see this all the time in our life. See, like, no one ever criticizes the significant thing you don't share. 
You can have all sorts of dreams for your life, all sorts of plans, all sorts of things that you want to do or wish you could do. No one's going to put it down. No one's going to blame you if you'd never share it. But as soon as you have the guts or the vulnerability to put it out there, you and I have seen time and time again that someone is waiting. Someone's waiting to tell us we can't do it. Why should we do it? We're not the ones. Why would we try and do something like that? We see it all the time in the little things, don't we? And the thing for Joseph that really hurts, the thing for him that really stings, and it's probably the same for you, is that his critics aren't just people he doesn't know. His critics aren't some strangers out there. It's not a newspaper. It's not whatever it is. The significant criticism comes from the people that are closest to him. Have you ever seen that in your life? You have some sort of a goal or some sort of thing you want to say, and you think you can share it with someone who you think is going to support you, but as soon as you put it out there, the person who you care about the most, the person who's supposed to be supporting you, is actually the one that puts it down the hardest. Maybe you've seen that in your own life. Significant things attract significant critics. For Joseph, his brothers already don't like him, But the criticism gets personal, and the criticism gets real, and it gets voiced, and it gets ugly as soon as he speaks it out. His own brothers hate him because of his dream. His own father puts him down because of what is on his heart. One of the things that I've learned about criticism, and that I know to be true about criticism, is this, though. The people who criticize you the most are oftentimes the people who feel they have to lose the most if what you're dreaming about actually happens. Maybe I'll say that again. The people who criticize you the hardest comes from the people who feel like they have the most to lose if you actually succeed at what you're setting out to do. Like no one minds if you have a dream for your life as long as it doesn't change things for them. The people who criticize you are the ones who feel like they've got something to lose if it comes true. Something's going to change for them. Maybe your dream calls out something in them that makes them uncomfortable. Maybe it makes them feel like they have something more to do in their lives, and they don't like that feeling, and so the thing that they do is they selfishly criticize you. Significant things attract significant critics. When we listen to our critics, we'll always feel small. We'll always feel ashamed. We'll always feel like we don't measure up. But when we listen to what God says about us, we can understand a few things. God says that he knows the plans he has for our lives, and they're plans to prosper us. He has significant things for you and for me. He says that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Jesus actually said to his disciples that you're going to do more significant things than I have done. God says that you're more than conquerors through Christ who gives you strength. God says that he prepared in advance significant things for you to do. Maybe the thing for you that holds you up, maybe the answer to the question, why is it hard to do something significant for you? Maybe it's so hard because you keep listening to your critics. And you've allowed criticism to speak into your life to the point where you're starting to doubt whether or not you could actually do it. Significant things attract significant critics. The next thing Joseph's story tells us is this, that significant things come at a significant cost. Why is it hard to do something significant? Because there's always a significant cost attached to it. Anything worth going after, 
anything worth having in our lives really comes at a cost, doesn't it? Like, you might be wanting to get your uh, health in shape, and you might want to get your body in shape, and you might say, okay, well, I'm going to start eating better, I'm going to start exercising, I'm going to start doing this. There's going to be a cost for you to do it. Now you have to go and you have to plan your meals out, and you got to go to the store and buy actual food, and you have to cut it up, and you've got to make it, and you've got to be disciplined, and it's going to cost you something to do it. You want to be so easy just to go through the drive-thru again, and just to go and do that thing, right? Does that make sense? Like, we all want something significant. We all want something important, but we don't want to pay a cost to have it. It's why people lose their mind on Black Friday. People lose their mind because this is the one time the rule doesn't apply. It's the only day in the world that the rule does not apply. See, we want something significant, but we don't want to pay a significant cost. And so we'll trample people, we'll bust through the doors to get our Tickle Me Elmo or whatever it is, and we want to see, like, for myself, so this happened the other day. Uh, I have a, uh, a dishwasher that was breaking down and it was off. I got it for $100 off Kijiji like five years ago. I got a great 100 bucks out of it, right? Like, it had no handle, the spring didn't work. The thing, like, have you seen War of the Worlds and the noise those things make? Like, wah. Like, it was, this thing was like a demon in my house, right? Like, I would gather the kids around every time I turned the dishwasher on. It's okay, kids, we're going to make it, it's going to be all right. Right. And the dishes came out dirtier than they went. It was like one of those, ugh. And so I just had enough of it this last week. I went down to Leon's uh, because they had a dishwasher they wanted to check out, right? You ever, you ever done that? Like, I am, a, like, I'm an adult, actually. If I'm talking about dishwashers, I'm an adult. And so I researched all dishwashers in the St. John area. I had them all picked out. It's just like sniping them, right? I go down to Leon's, and I go to check it out, and I actually see they actually have a tent sale going on right now, right? Leon's, if you're watching, this is a huge plug. I'm just telling you, Right? <laughs> They have this tent sale going on right now, and instead of going in the showroom, I go to the tent. I'm like, this might, this might work. This might be all right. I make my way through the tent, and there in the distance, I see it. I see this thing on clearance. On clearance, this LG, stainless, whatever it is, all this stuff. And I'm like, the angels are singing, Whoa! and it's just an amazing thing, and I see it in the distance, and I start walking to it, and like chariots of fire is playing in the background, and it's this moment, and I notice there's a lady next to me looking the same direction. You know what I'm saying? And Chariots of Fire is playing in her heads too. And she's got angels singing to her. And we start walking down the thing. And I'm starting to walk a little quicker. And she's starting to walk a little quicker. And she's trying to look. And it's just one of the, you know, we get to it. I cut her off past the sofas. I go and get to the dishwasher. I hug it. I'm like, it's mine. I got it. sold. I, never, I don't look inside of it. I don't care what the price is. I just wanted it. So I got it. It was amazing, right? Like, we want something significant, but we don't want to pay for it. But the most significant things always cost the most, don't they? The things that really matter in your life, the things that give you the most satisfaction, the things that actually bring you peace, the things that define you, the things that are the most important things in your life cost you something. Like a good relationship, whether it's with a friend or a spouse, cost you something to have it. It didn't come easy. You had to pay for it. A good education comes at a cost, right? Anything good will cost you something. Significant things come at a significant cost. Joseph had to pay a huge cost to do something significant. In Genesis chapter 37, it says that after he had these dreams and his brothers hated it for him, said that his dad sent him back out in the field. Said dad sent him back out in the field to go check on his brothers one day. And it says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and let's throw him into one of these cisterns and then we can tell our father a wild animal ate him. 
Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. It was going to happen. Then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they took a little break. They're going to kill him in a few seconds. They looked up and they saw a caravan of camels coming in the distance. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum and balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Some guys were passing by just at that moment. Judah said to his brothers, really, what are we going to gain by killing our brother? His blood would just give us a guilty conscience. So instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. We don't have to go crazy. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelite traders, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Later in the chapter, it says that when they arrived in Egypt, they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Talk about a price to pay for a dream. Talk about a significant price for someone to pay because they had an idea of what they were going to do with their lives. Like Joseph's brothers, the immediate reaction when he shared this dream was, we're going to murder you. We're going to end your life. We're going to kill you. We're going to lie about it. We hate you so much. We don't want that thing to come true so bad that we're going to kill you, and that's going to be a huge cost. For whatever reason, they decide not to kill him, and I actually think that could have been worse for Joseph. Like, if they would have killed him, it's the end of the story. Like, ah, that's the dead end. The road's over. That's it. No more suffering. No more getting hated. He's just dead and gone. But instead, Joseph was signed up for years and years and years of slavery. He signed up to be traded to someone he didn't know, property of someone else, taken to a country he didn't know, a language he didn't know, gods he didn't know. All of a sudden, all of his inheritance is gone. His identity's gone. His family's gone. He's all alone. Talk about a price to pay for something significant. But significant things always come at a cost. So few people do something significant because they're not willing to pay the cost to see it happen. And maybe for you, the reason, the the answer to the question, why is it hard for me to do something significant? Maybe the reason is that there's a cost you're not willing to pay. Maybe for some of you, in order to do something significant, it means leaving a relationship behind and you're not willing to do it just yet. Maybe it means putting aside your own identity a little bit and putting aside the things that bring you peace and bring you comfort and bring you stability and you're not willing to pay that cost to see something significant happen. Significant things always come at a significant cost. The rest of Joseph's story takes about eight chapters to tell. I'm going to tell it real quick in about one minute. But it's going to outline this next principle of why is it hard to do something significant. The story goes on to tell us uh, that Joseph is in Egypt. uh, And as he gets to Egypt, he's in Potiphar's house. And he's a slave. He's just like one of the slaves. But he does such a great job of being a slave, Potiphar notices something in him. And he actually puts him in charge of his whole house. So this guy who's a slave is now in charge of Pharaoh's right-hand man's estate, his whole house. And he does a great job at it. But the Bible tells us one day, Potiphar's wife accuses him of abusing her. And just like that, Potiphar gets tired of him and throws him into prison. So now Joseph's not only a slave, but he's in prison as well. The Bible tells us he does such a great job in prison that the prison guard actually puts him in charge of the whole prison. Like this, you can't keep him down. He's just an amazing guy. Put him wherever you want. He's going to do awesome, right? 
He becomes in charge of the whole prison. Talk about highs and lows and highs and lows. The Bible tells us one time uh, Pharaoh's having a day or whatever, and he gets mad at his cupbearer, he gets mad at his baker, and he just throws those guys into prison as well. So Joseph, the cupbearer, and the baker, it's like a bad joke about to start, all are in the prison here in Egypt. And I don't know how long they're in there necessarily, but one day these two guys, the cupbearer and the baker, have a dream. And they come to Joseph and they say, well, we had this dream. We don't know what it means. And Joseph says, here's exactly what it means. One of you is going to get out. One of you is going to die. And they both say, well, hey, if it's us getting out, well, then we're going to try and get you out when we get out. Sure enough, the dream comes true. The cupbearer gets out. The baker's put to death. But the cupbearer, as soon as he gets out of prison, the Bible says he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't try and get him out. He completely forgets him. Any hope is gone again. The Bible says, for two more years, Joseph just sits in prison. Genesis 41.1 says, two full years later, two full years after this cupbearer got out, Joseph was just sitting there waiting to be delivered. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. Pharaoh has a couple dreams. And in these dreams, they're crazy. Like, these are crazy dreams. No one could understand it. Pharaoh dreams one day that seven fat cows come out of the Nile. And then seven skinny cows come out of the Nile, and then something crazy happens. The skinny cows eat the fat cows, and he wakes up. What was that? Then he goes back to sleep, and he has another dream. And this dream, he has seven like plants of corn, and there's seven really fat ears of corn. And then he has a dream that seven skinny ears of corn come up, and a crazy thing happens. The skinny ears eat the fat ears. What's up with that? And Pharaoh's like, I'm perplexed. I have no idea. And this jogs the cupbearer's mind. Two years later, the cupbearer says, wait a second, I know a guy. I know a guy who told me what my dream was about. Let's get him over here and see if he knows what your dream's about. So he pulls Joseph out of prison. Joseph comes before Pharaoh, and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you what the dream means, but I'm not telling you what it means. This is actually God showing you what it means. So listen up, Pharaoh. These dreams mean that you're about to have seven years of harvest where the land of Egypt's going to produce more than it ever produced, but you need to be careful because it also means after those seven years are done, you're going to have seven years of famine like you've never seen before. So what you need to do, Pharaoh, I'm just a prisoner, but I'm just going to tell you, what you need to do is you need to make preparations right now. You need to find yourself someone who knows how to run this thing so that you can get all these seven years of crops stored up so that you'll make it through the famine. Pharaoh says, well, who can I get to do this? There's no one this wise. And he looks at Joseph, this prisoner, and he says, because God's with you, how about you do it? And all of a sudden, we see this guy go from prison one day to now Pharaoh puts him in charge of the whole country of Egypt the next. Like, this is an incredible thing. The Bible tells us this, that this was 17 years or 13 years after Joseph had his first dream. Genesis 41 says that he was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence that day, he inspected the entire land, and as predicted, seven years the land produced bumper crops. Joseph's 30 years old when he becomes the second in command of Egypt, 13 years after he had this vision way long ago in his hometown. For the next seven years, Joseph has family, he has kids, he stores it all up, he's just crushing it as the second in command, he's like as big as it gets, but his dream still hadn't been fulfilled. What he dreamed about long ago still didn't happen, as prestigious as he was, as important as he was, where he was at right now was fantastic for him, but his dream still didn't come true. Seven more years go by, 20 years since he had a dream. 
Sure enough, after the seven years of plenty, the famine starts. The whole world stops producing crops. The famine's so bad. The Bible says that at last the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries. But throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. See, things get so bad that the famine reaches Joseph's hometown. And just as it happens, Jacob, Joseph's dad, decides to send all of Joseph's brothers down to Egypt to get some food. This dream's about to become reality. It's about two years into the famine. 22 years. 22 years after Joseph dreamed this thing of significance, it was about to come true. The principle's this. Significant things take significant time. Significant things take significant time. Have you ever done something uh, of value in your life that didn't take time? Like you go online, and pay your bills, and all, that's fine. But, but have you ever done something that really mattered, that you really valued, that was really precious to you, that didn't take time to see happen? I haven't. That's why grandma's Sunday dinner tastes way better than whatever you cooked up last night. Because she took time to make it happen. You could taste it. The time makes all the difference. It's why some of your best friendships are the friends you've had around since high school. Those are the best ones because it took the most time. The best marriages are the ones that are around for 50 years and they're still in love. It takes time to do it. Time's always the last thing I want to spend, though. Time's always the last thing I want to spend. It's the most precious commodity I feel I have. I want to get a gadget to do it. I want to get some app to do it. I want to figure out how to fast track it. I want to figure out how to manipulate it. I want to try and figure out how I can short circuit this principle in my life. But the principle's true. Significant things always take significant time to see happen. Here's the good part, though. This is, this is the payoff. This is the part of Joseph's story where it starts to turn around, and it can for you as well. If you're feeling insignificant and you feel like, man, I just listened to critics, you're right. I just don't want to take the time, you're right. Man, I'm just not willing to pay the cost, you're right. I want you to just hold on because Joseph's story is going to show us one last principle, and it's this. That significant things always have significant results. An amazing thing happens. When you can outlast your critics and you do the time and you pay the cost, you'll see that not only does God bring reality to what you dreamed would happen, he's also going to do something incredible, and that's he's going to not just take you there, but he's going to overextend. God's going to do exceedingly more than you could have ever imagined in the first place. Significant things have significant results. Here's the significant part about Joseph's story. Joseph's brothers come down from Egypt. And they get before him, and they don't know who Joseph is. He's all Egyptian now, and he's like got his head shaved, and he, he looks the part. They had no clue that he was still alive. All they know is they sold him off, and they hadn't spoken or seen of him for 22 more years. No clue that the guy they're about to beg for grain is actually the brother they tried to kill. And they get before Joseph, and they start begging for grain, and he sends them back, and he asks for information about his family, and it goes on for a couple chapters. But it comes down to this. Joseph, when his brothers come back again, he invites them to his house for a meal. And his brothers start sweating it, and they think, oh my goodness, this guy is second in command of Egypt, and he invites us to this private place. He's going to make us his slaves. He's going he's to enslave us. We're going to be subject to him. Kind of a weird twist of events. And the Bible says in that moment, his brothers bow down before him. 
And they beg him to have mercy, and they beg him for grain, and they beg him for food, and his dream becomes reality. But that wasn't all that God had planned. The Bible says that once Joseph reveals his identity and they reconcile and they say, well, what God meant for evil, or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God had a plan in the first place, and the plan was this for me to save my family. But God just didn't intend to save Joseph's family through it. We see that Pharaoh finds out about this whole thing, and he says to Joseph, listen, why don't you bring your whole family down from your land? Tell your dad Jacob, tell him to get all his friends, all his family, all your possessions, bring it all down to Egypt. You've been such a good guy for me, Joseph. I want you and your dad and your family to have the pick of the land, anything you want. You come on down, and you just set up shop here, and it's going to be a fantastic thing for you. Genesis 47 says, So Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father. And during the night, God spoke to him, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he said. I'm God, the God of your father, the voice said. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. God wasn't just interested in saving just Joseph or just his brothers. The whole nation of Israel is going to be blessed through this. God had worldwide implications because of this one thing that Joseph set his mind to. Now, you're going to die in Egypt, and Joseph's going to attend to you. So Jacob left Beersheba, and he took his sons down to Egypt. There they, car they carried him and their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh provided. They also took all their livestock. They took all their personal belongings. They brought the whole family down, and they set up shop in Egypt. All their sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants. See, God doesn't just fulfill Joseph's dream, but he took things way beyond it into things Joseph could have never dreamed about in the first place. He had more significance in mind than what Joseph saw himself. This one dream, when it came true, changed everything for the country of Egypt or country of Israel. This one dream, when it came true, changed the course of world history. It really did. Joseph had no clue about that, though. He had no clue the other things God had in store if he was just going to be obedient. He had no idea. All God told him was, your brothers are going to bow to you. That's it. For 22 years, that's what he knew. But as soon as it happened, God had even more. The same is true for you. I don't know what it is for you that you think is significant in your life. I don't know what the thing is that you're saying, God, I just, I want to do this. And it doesn't have to be some big thing, but it's, God, I'm going to set my mind to do this. You have no clue what God wants to do. The thing that might seem small to you in the grand scheme of things, well, you know what, me going back to school, man, that doesn't really matter that much, does it? Me parking cars on the weekend, that doesn't matter that much. But you have no idea how much God wants to do through something that seems little to you. Maybe for you, some of you are sitting here and you're saying, you know what? Man, the one thing that God has me doing in my life is he has me volunteering somewhere in a way that I've never really done before. People are asking me to do it, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like God wants me to do it, and it's not something significant. I'm just going to go and hang out with some kids on the weekend, and I'm going to bounce some babies on my knee, and I'm going to tell them a little bit about Jesus. I'm going to go home and go back to my job, and maybe I'll do it back on the weekend. But you have no clue. You have no clue what God really intends to do through that, do you? You have no clue whose kid you're bouncing on your knee. You have no clue whose diaper you're changing. I'm being serious about this. You have no clue because I have a son, he's five years old, and he comes home from church, and he tells me at night when I'm putting him to bed what he learned about Jesus that day, and it was because of one of you. And it makes a significant difference in this kid's life. And all you were doing was answering an ad for a volunteer, yet you're impacting my son for eternity. You have no clue what God wants to do through something that seems small. 
Maybe for you, you feel like, man, God, I just want to start this business up and work for myself and it would be great. And God's going to have you do that. But the reason isn't just so you can start a business and have things be nice and easy. There's going to be a partner God's going to bring to you. There's going to be a client you have. And in a moment, God's going to say, this is the real reason I want you to do this. Because you're going to say something to them. You're going to act a certain way. You're going to influence them in a way that's going to bring me glory. And I'm going to far surpass anything you thought was significant. For myself... I was like 20 years old, and I was sitting in Pennsylvania, and I was a college dropout. I dropped out of music school. I was in music school in Philadelphia for a while, and I dropped out of school. Uh, I was messed up. I had no direction in my life. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I was smoking stuff, drinking stuff, doing whatever, just wasting my life. And in Pennsylvania there, I quit music school. I got my own place, and I was doing construction work. And after a while, God got a hold of me. And there was just this little whisper or this little nag that just said to me, I have something for you. I want you to think about going into ministry. And I don't know what that is. I just want to clear something up for you right now. Like significant stuff isn't things that are going to bring you money. Significance isn't money. It doesn't equal money. It doesn't equal fame. Significant things don't equal notoriety. It doesn't mean you're going to be awesome and everyone's going to know your name at all. No, significant things in the Lord's eyes are impact and influence. The significant thing God has you doing is something that's going to impact someone else. Something that's going to influence someone else. No one might know about it ever. The world may never hear about it, but it doesn't mean it's not significant. And God just had this little thing like, for me, significance wasn't God showing up in a dream. It wasn't God saying, this is what I say, you better do this. Like, we get that all messed up and we're waiting for God to show us something and he never does, so we think God doesn't want to use us. No, significant thing that's on your heart is that, that little nagging voice. You've had it before. And you're just like, man, I just, can't, I just can't shake this thing that I might want to do. Here's something I feel like I should do with my life, and I just can't, I, it doesn't matter how many years go by, I still wonder what would have happened if I would have done that. Or if I would have taken that step, or if I would have said yes to that. It's not big. So for me, it was this little nagging voice. I want you to go into ministry. I'm a college dropout. No one would want me to be their pastor. Just like, this is not the guy. But God just started working in my heart and working in my heart. And I was at a camp one year, uh, and someone said to me, I think you ought to go into youth ministry. It was someone else talking to me. It wasn't even me saying it. It wasn't looking for it. Someone said, you should go into youth ministry. I was, okay, that's cool. Next year, someone said it. Next time, someone said it. And it was one of those things where I was like, God, maybe you are starting to talk to me. And so for me, being in Pennsylvania, I applied to like seven, eight different schools in Pennsylvania for ministry, uh, but someone at that camp said, there's a place in Canada, I've never heard of Canada before, like I'm ter- stereotypical, Amer- I'm sorry to say it on Canada, I'm sorry about that. I had no clue that anything was north of Maine, I didn't know, like no one goes that far, that's too far, you can't go up any further, there's nothing, no clue. So I said, okay, I don't know where New Brunswick is, I don't know, definitely don't know where Sussex is, but I applied to this thing and I was like, fingers crossed, please Sussex, don't call me. Don't ask me to do it, right? That's too far away. I don't want to do it. Not one school in Pennsylvania believed in it. Not one school got back to me and said, we think you got it for ministry. No one said that to me. Nobody. But this school in Sussex, New Brunswick, Canada, calls me up and say, you know what? We think God's calling you to ministry. You should come on up. And I was thinking about it, and I was kind of nervous about it. Like, I'm going to leave all my friends behind. I'm not going to know anybody. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave anything I thought I was about to do there. In fact, I went to my parents and I said, I really feel like this might be something God wants me to do is go 16 hours away to Sussex, New Brunswick. And the thing that got me the most was when I shared that with my parents, their immediate reaction wasn't, we think it too. It was, why would you want to do that? 
Not that they didn't believe I was called to ministry, but why do you got to go so far away? Why do you have to go that far? Why, why can't you just stay around here? And I understand now it was they were a little nervous about me being so far away from them, and I get that, but in the moment it kind of shook me. And that was a criticism of sorts I didn't expect to ever get. My parents took a few weeks and they called me up one night and they said, actually, me and my mom, uh, my dad said, mom and I have been praying about this and we really feel like God does want you to do it, so we want you to go. Go for it. So I, I left all my friends, left my family, and I started driving up to Sussex, New Brunswick. In fact, the week before, I, I needed $10,000 to be able to pay for the thing. I had no money. I was broke, just a total, like, waste in my life. My church came around me the couple months before, and one week before I needed to go, I needed $10,000 to show up, and little by little by little by little, God just started pouring money in and money in and money in, and I got the money to be able to go to college, and it was an amazing thing. I get to college, I get a youth ministry degree. The first thing I do, move back to Pennsylvania. First thing I do is, I'm out of here. Thanks, New Brunswick. It was real, but I'm out. Right? You guys don't have springtime. You've never heard of it. Like, you got bugs the size of my head. Like, it's crazy, right? The mosquitoes up here are terrible. Anyway, I won't go off on that. I go back to Pennsylvania, and six years as a youth pastor, half an hour from where I grew up, and I thought life was great. And there was something about that dream coming true that was significant, but God had way more planned that I didn't know about. God had way more in store. And you know what? If God would have told me back then, my dream for you actually is to move to New Brunswick, to live in New Brunswick, be a youth pastor in New Brunswick, be an executive pastor in New Brunswick, be part of one of these churches in the Maritime that is just spreading the gospel throughout the world, I would have said, God, you're crazy. I'm not doing it. And I would have never made the first step. But God had something even more significant for me in my life. And I'm standing in front of you today to say it's proof positive that significant things have significant results. What I dreamed was not all God had. What you're dreaming right now, the thing you might give yourself to is not all that God has for you. What is it for you? What's that nagging thing that you just can't shake? I'd say go after that. You have no idea what God's going to do through it. There's two kinds of people I just want to talk to before we leave today. The first is the person who could say, you know what? I had an answer way back in the beginning when I said, what's this most significant thing you wish you would have done? One of you, some of you, maybe you're watching online, you had an answer for it. You could define it. You could put your finger on it. Here's the thing that I still have a nag about. I still wonder what would happen if I did this. I still wonder what would happen if I said yes to that. For that person, may I hear the word of the Lord saying it's not too late. Pick it back up. You could do it. You have no idea what I'm going to do through you. Maybe you've listened to a critic and you've given up. Or maybe you're not willing to pay the time or it's too much cost for God to say to you today, no, 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 my son, no, my daughter. I still have this. I still have this for you. Would you come after it? Would you listen to me? Would you not listen to them? Would you pick that back up? And there's another person here today who when I say God has a plan for you, you're like, I have no clue about it. I had no idea that anyone but myself cared about how things turned out. I had no clue that God would want something for my life. Maybe today for you, today's the day where you'd say, God, if you have a plan for my life, I just want you to start showing it to me. Don't blow me away with the whole thing. Don't tell it all to me. I won't be able to handle it. But God, would you show me what the first step is? Significant things have significant results. God has marked you for significance. He has important things for you to do. Let me pray for you. God, right now, we just say thank you so much that you see in us more than we see in ourselves. You always have. In fact, it was your joy to bring us all, every single individual watching here, watching online, watching five years from now who just clicked on a link and they're watching this right now. God, you have significant things in store for us. You told us it. 
You dreamed us into existence, and you always had a plan for us. You know the days before us. You know one of them before they come to pass. You know every single thing we're about to do. You know every word on our lips before we speak them. And you say we are fearfully, wonderfully made. We have a purpose in this world, and it's to bring you glory, bring you honor, bring you notoriety. God, for the person who struggles with it today, would they find encouragement? Would they say, I can still do it. God still got me. I'm not forsaken. I'm not lost. I'm not insignificant in any way, shape, or form. But God sees something in me I don't see in myself. I'm going to believe him for it today. God, give us things to do. Give us steps to take. Show us what significant thing you have for our lives, God. And would we go boldly after it? Would we shut up the critic, God? Would we pay the time? Would we pay the cost? And would we see you do amazing things through our life? Would our lives truly matter from this day forward? We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted really loud, amen, amen, amen.